you can turn with me, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42. And some others day, and I know that we're going to continue on, and so we're talking about and speaking about what Jesus had to say to us on the Sermon on the Mount. We're talking about going above and beyond in our faith and what it truly means and, the, and what the Scripture says to us and what Christ calls us to in this passage. And I think about this on today, on, like to, on Mother's Day, because the reality is for us, most of the time we spend about thinking about ourselves. Mother's Day, Father's Day, there are a few days throughout the year where we think about someone other than ourselves. And so today when Jesus is speaking to us through this passage, he is calling for us to think about someone other than ourselves. The reality is, is that we don't spend very much in, uh, of our time in our life on this subject because we, who's number one in our lives? Us. I mean, the reality is, is for the most part, I mean, we would like to say in our faith that Christ is number one in our lives and we do all things to be uh, for him and for his kingdom. But the reality is, is that we get in the way a lot of times. We eclipse that. And so this passage right here is calling us back to this and with an understanding of, and once we read this, I'll share with you what the true issue of what we're talking about this morning is. But it says this in verse, starting in verse 38. For you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So the issue that we're going to be talking about this morning is rights. We live in a culture today that's all about our personal rights and all about who we are as individuals and having the, the expression of our individually, individuality being able to be expressed freely. And everyone wants to be recognized for that. The reality for us as a culture in that is, is that there's nothing that binds us together in unity. It, there's nothing that we can call to anymore in our country and as human beings that will bind us together because everybody seems to have their own individual rules and their own individual thought processes that in some way, shape, form, or fashion conflict with everybody else's. So when personal rights become first, it, we live in a society and in a culture of nothing but pure individuality. Christ calls us not to think of uh, ourselves first. He calls for us to think of others first, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But we are to lay down our personal rights. Now, think about this for a second. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's probably the hardest thing that we do in our faith is to live our lives in such a way that we are last. Because we all want some sort of recognition or response for who we are as a believer and a follower of Christ and, in his, in, and as an individual. We want to leave our mark on this world. God has put us here for a purpose and we want to, to, to in some way, shape, form, or fashion, leave just a little bit of that behind so that others will know. When we try to do it ourselves, we get lost in all of this. When we lay it down... That's when Christ uses us and makes us noticed by those who are around us and uses us and impacts to impact the world. So 
The first thing I want you to see here is what he says. says, For you have heard that said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other and offer it to, all, to him also. The first thing is our personal justice. When we are wrong, we want retribution, don't we? We don't like to be wronged. There are times in our lives when we are, are wrong, and hopefully some of us admit the fact that we are wrong, but we don't like to be wronged, meaning we don't want others to treat us in a wrong manner, in wrong fashion. And when that happens, we want justice for ourselves. We tend to take that out for ourselves. We find ways to get other people back for the way that they've responded to us. Now, I want you to think about this for today, for Mother's Day. How many people in here have ever wronged your mother? Come on. That's right. Everybody in here at some point in time wronged your mother. I'm going to give you one personal case for me. I played baseball growing up, and, and so there was always a ball in my hand when I was a youngster. And so um, I was not allowed to throw the ball in the house. But we had a, a fireplace that was actually made of brick. You know, they, they used to do that back in the day. I don't know if y'all know that or not. But um, it was a full brick fireplace all the way up through our house. So constantly I was laying on the floor and I was taking this rubber ball and I was throwing it up against the bricks of the fireplace. And I was just, you know, bouncing it off the bricks all the time, right back in my hand, put it right back in the other one, throwing it up. You know, I'm just, I'm that good. You know what I'm saying? It was just one right after another. So then I start getting adventurous, you know, and I was doing it down where I could just bounce it off the hearth and, and up against the bricks and it would come back to me. But that got old and mundane after a while. So I started to go above the mantle. You know what I mean? All the way up there trying to make that happen. Well, there was stuff on the mantle like this, you know, a glass bowl that my great-grandmother had given to my mom. But me and my thinking just about myself continued to throw that against that hearth and against the brick of the fireplace, and what do I do? I hit it, and I broke it. So I'm thinking, I'll just fess up to that. I did something wrong there. My mom came home. She found out she was mortified. I didn't, you know, she wasn't just angry with me for what I did, but that was something that was what? Handed down to her generation after generation after generation from her grandmother who, my great-grandmother, who had impacted her life. It was one of the things that she had given, and I had destroyed it. Absolutely destroyed it. Now, she went into her bedroom and didn't come out for the rest of the evening. You talk about someone, I would have rather taken a beating, you know what I mean? Just put me over your knee and just spank me and just get on, get on around it, you know, and get angry with me. How about a little punishment in the sense of some, some type of, you know, something I've got to do or something that I can't do. But she went into her bedroom, closed the door and cried for the rest of the night. Broken hearted. Because I had transgressed so much more than what I thought. Now, I will tell you this. Until the day she died, my mom loved me. She got over it. She didn't seek to take it out on me. 
I was her child. She eventually healed from it. We eventually talked again, and she forgave me. That's the kind of relationship that we're talking here that needs to take place between us and other human beings. We transgress other people all the time. Instead of, and we get transgressed. And instead of exacting justice or revenge, the revenge, Scripture says, over and over comes from who? It comes from the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, in retribution. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. It's given to us again multiple times in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, then Hebrews chapter 30. Say some variants of this. I'm giving you Romans chapter 12, 19 in your scripture. It says this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. My mom didn't take revenge on me. She let God do it. And God's revenge was not punishment for me. God's vengeance on me that night was just the sheer and utter disappointment that my mom had for me for one, disobeying the rules of the house and then two, causing that much pain. And that was far beyond anything that anybody could have done to me. Because it was transformative in me. See, this is the way that God works. We think when we see the wrath of God, it's all about just wiping something out. There's a purpose. God makes a point. So when God takes wrath, when God takes vengeance, he teaches a lesson When we take wrath and when we take vengeance, we're just trying to satisfy the hurt that's in us. So when we go out and we seek our own personal justice for the things that have been wrong to us, they don't have the effect that they should have. That's why he says, don't resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one and offer it too. Why? Because even though it's something that's happening to us, that what they're going to receive from God is going to be far worse than what we could give to them. The second thing it says here is it says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Personal security. When we have our issue of rights, we think about it's okay for us to give up to a point. Up to the point where it doesn't cost us anything that we truly, truly desire. And for most women in here, men don't get this as much, security is a big, big deal. When I went into the ministry, I'd take a pay cut. The first thing tomorrow I asked about was where are we going to get that money from? Because we had a household, we knew what it took to run that household. We knew the finances that need to be available for that. So if I wasn't bringing that in, where's that going to come from, Tim? It doesn't just magically appear, right? personal security. We're looking for the things that keep us comfortable. When we lose those things that keep us comfortable, the Lord here is actually telling us to give more. Scripture says, if anyone wants to sue sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Now, societally, in that day and age, I don't think we get this. They didn't have a whole lot of stuff. We got garages full of stuff. 
We've got extra buildings in our house or basements full of stuff. Things that we have accumulated over time. People in that day and age and in that culture didn't have all that kind of stuff around. They just had a few personal items. So when you came up and when the Lord says right here to give them those personal items, that's all they had. So when God is calling for us to be willing to sacrifice everything, he's talking about all that we have. I don't know if we get the full representation of that. We have to be willing to walk away from every single solitary bit of it. But no, we want to say to the Lord, hey, I'm willing to do this up to this point as long as it doesn't cost me where I live or as long as it doesn't cost me my job, as long as it doesn't cost me you know, the status that I've tried to earn at this company or this, you know, my position or my influence or my impact that I see happening on a daily basis. Once we get outside of that comfort zone, we're out of our security. And we need to realize that God gives all of that to us. In other words, what we have was given to us by him. It's by his grace and by his mercy, that we even have this. So why do we need to take ownership in it and think that it's ours? Your property is in your name right now. When you die, it goes into what? Somebody else's name. Or if we didn't pay our taxes and stuff, the government gets it. But it's not ours It's transferable to somebody else's name, but it's only ours at the moment that we're here and that we are using it. That's a personal case of what I want us to look at here. Everything that we have here is temporal for us and to us. But we act like it's all ours. And that if we don't have it, we won't be able to live without it. And when we get to that kind of point, that's a dangerous thing in our lives because we don't move out of our comfort zone. We don't move out of our personal security because we feel like that we've earned that and it's our right to have it because of all the time that we put in for it. And I get that. Some of you have labored long for some of the things that you have. And God is not trying to take that away from us. He's trying to get a point across to us that we need to be willing to let it all go. Proverbs 1.33 But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. We've got this whole book that's written about this guy named Job in the Old Testament. Job had everything. But over the course of that, Job lost everything. And what he didn't lose, everybody that was still around him, either friends or his wife, were complaining at him on every side. But what happens at the end of the book of Job? There's a restoration that takes place. God not only gives him back everything that he let go of or lost, he gives him back more than that. See, this is the picture from God. 
it's not ours anyway. If we are just willing to let it all go, then God will not only restore that to us, but he'll bring it back in a greater, greater presence and a greater picture. We don't grasp that at all. A lot to go through, so let's keep moving. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. That was the standard of the day. I don't know if you know this or not, but a Roman soldier could come by to anyone who was of the, the captured people of Rome, which the Israelites were, and they could command them to carry their pack for a mile. And it was one of those things, now think about this. You're out, you're on the side of the road, you're doing what you need to do to survive because you're a slave in a government that is oppressive to you through taxation and other things that they do. And you're out trying to work in the fields and then a Roman soldier comes by and says, hey, I need you to carry my pack for me one mile. Now, you carry the pack for a mile, then you realize that you're where from home? A mile away. So not only did it cost you the mile that you had to carry it, but it cost you the mile to get back. Now, Jesus is coming along and saying that you don't need to carry that pack for one mile. You need to carry that pack for two miles. And then you got to find your way back home for two miles. So what he's asking here is double, not only that, but I mean, think about all the time and everything else that goes back from it. We're thinking about our freedoms and our personal liberties. And we place them first. The older I get, money's not the most important thing is in my life. You know what is? Time. For me, I'm selfish. You guys said family. Y'all are probably right. Mine is time. I'm horrible. I really am. And the time that I kind of like is what kind of children? Alone time. Just leave me alone and let me be there for a while by myself. It's time. My time by myself. It's just, and I'm selfish. I'm an only child. It's just, it, I'm it's confessional. It is. It really is. Personal liberty is huge for me. Freedom. When we start thinking about taking away our freedoms and the things that we have gained in that way, that's, that's a huge deal to us. When people start infringing on our time, that's a big deal. When God starts telling us that we need to go and be involved in this, and we start going, you really want me to go there and do that every week, all the time, all day? Time. We never get that back, right? You lose money, you go back out to your job, you go make some more. You lose time, how do you get that back? You don't get that back. So this is a huge step for us a people of faith. When we start talking about our time, when we start talking about our freedoms and our liberties, we start talking about our rights and having to lay this down, what Christ is calling us to here is to give up that which we think that we have, we think we have all the time. We don't have all the time. The breath that we're given is given to us by whom? By God himself. Our days are what? Numbered, Scripture tells us. 
So our job is to be about the business of what God wants us to be about. It's not our time in the first place. It's his time. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that when I want to be by myself and just waste the day, that I might be wasting God's time instead of just my time? Now, he tells us to rest. He tells us that there are times for us to rejuvenate and relax. I'm not telling you you need to go 24-7 365, but I am telling you that it's his time. And it's a big deal. Scripture says this in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the Son makes you free. You will be Free indeed. I'm trying to manage that which is not mine in the first place. And when I'm trying to manage all of these things that are not mine in the first place, then I'm going to always be upset when things don't go my way. When it crosses my personal boundaries then I'm going to get cross with God or I'm going to get cross with someone else. Last thing. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. The last thing is personal finances, resources. Oh my gosh. Pastor, you can talk about anything you want to up there on Sunday morning, but do not talk about money. And do not talk about my money. Because it is mine. You did not go out and earn it. It's ours. We get to do with it what we see fit. Okay. I'm fine with that. But that's between you and God. Because God doesn't see it that way. You think it's your job because you went out and earned it? I think it's your job because God, God's grace allows you to have it. You think you're talented enough and skilled enough to do something that nobody else can do? I think that God gave you those talents and skills. You think that that check when it comes to the bank account is all yours? I don't. I think that God says that a portion of it is his first. And then the rest is yours. Societally, we have blown this sky high. I don't know where you are. I'm not trying to get in your business. I'm going to tell you this. Over half the people in our country are living over one, at 102% of their income. They're living at 102% of their income. Why is credit card debt what it is? Because they're living over and above it. They ne- cannot make enough. We can never make enough to satisfy our appetite for that. But if we see that as a resource that God has given us for us to use for his kingdom first and then for what he has us purposefully to do with our time and our talent, then we'll put that in the proper perspective. That's why Christ is saying right here, someone comes to you, you need to take care of them. 
and you need to give them what they need so that they can go on. Now, most of us would probably sit there and say, well, they sorry they blew it in the first place. Why are they coming to me? God gave them what he gave me. Why, why can't they live off what they live off of? That's, that's not our call. That goes right back up to number one, personal justice. God calls us to step up and help out and to help meet those needs. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 that I'm supposed to bear my burdens and my brother's burdens. So not only do I have responsibility for myself, I got responsibility for everybody else. <clears throat> Let me tell you something about church life that I've experienced. I'll just put it that way. If I were to tell you right now that I had someone in need in this congregation and I gave you an amount, my personal experience is before I walked out of here, that amount would be there and more. If it was somebody in this congregation and it was somebody you knew. Now, if someone comes to me from the congregation and says, Billy out here in the community who does all of this has had his house burned down and has nothing left, what can we do for them? And if I were to put an amount on that, what I've generally found is that I walk out of here with less than that amount to give to Billy, who's lost everything. We're all right when we know where it's going and we know who we're helping. But God says to us, Christ says to us, we got to be willing to help everybody. All right, now I'm going to give you this one. The Bible speaks of tithes and offerings. It's hard enough to get us to grasp ourselves around tithes. How many of you keep enough back for offerings to help out someone who's in need? Do you keep a little extra money on the side so that if someone were to come to you that you might have be able to help them out too over and above and beyond all that? I know you've tithed. I know you've given. I know you've already sacrificed. But this is what he's calling us to. We got to be prepared for anybody to walk up to us and say we need some help. Not just the guy that's sitting outside the restaurant that says he needs food. But anybody, friend or family, ready, to, ready at the case to be able to help out with our personal resources. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Instruct them to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. All right, wow. I told you, I know, I know this stuff's hard. And I'm not trying to climb on your back or get up in your lap, whichever way you want to look at it. I'm just trying to tell you what this says. This is a Sermon on the Mount. This is great. This is Jesus' greatest time of teaching to the masses. So he's speaking to us about this. So how are we going to live above and beyond all of this? We live above and beyond this in two ways. One, we live above it through stewardship. We have to understand that we are stewards. We own nothing. You know the old saying, you came into the world with nothing, you go out with the world with 
Nothing. Nothing. So, we are a steward of all that's been given to us at the time that we're in this world. We will be evaluated as a believer and a follower of Christ of what we do with the resources that we've been given. And that covers every single bit of that. That covers our time, our talents, our treasures, our passions, our attitudes, our actions, all of it. So you and I are stewards. We don't talk about this word very much anymore. We've lost this whole concept in the church. Does anybody know what a steward of something is? It's a manager. That's exactly right. When you're the steward of something, you're just managing something that belongs to someone else. So the stuff, if we go through life and realize this is not ours, we came in with nothing, we're going to go out with nothing, and we're just a manager of that which is given to us, that puts it in a little bit better perspective because then it belongs to who? Someone else. And when it belongs to someone else, we see it for what it truly is. We see it as something that's not our own. We don't take ownership in it. So therefore, it's easy for us to let it go and to, to manage it in a different way. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says this, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of, of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, what? Trustworthy. The second thing I want you to see, that's the way we live above this. We understand that this is not our own, that we're just stewards of it. The second thing is how do we go beyond all this? We go beyond on this with a lifestyle of servanthood. When we're not first, everything will fall into perspective. Everything about Scripture says that we're not first. Jesus is first. The kingdom of God. Others. We are last. And if we see ourselves as last when we go through things, then when things get out of proportion, we realize we're right where we're supposed to be. Who likes to be last? <laughs> Come on. Really? Nobody likes to be last, do they? Nobody has a desire to go, I grew up and I just wanted to be last at everything that I did. My coach taught me to be the best loser I could be. We don't want that. But if when we look at it from the fact that we're not actually losing and that we're not actually last, that we're actually doing what God has called us to do and we're a servant of those who are around us, it's a different perspective. Look what Christ says. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. Calling to them, them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Our calling as followers of Christ is to follow Christ. Whoo! Thank you for that revelation, Pastor. Our calling as followers of Christ is to follow Christ. What did Christ say? To serve those who are around us. I did not come to be served, but to serve many. I gave my life a ransom 
for those. For all lives. These are the standards which Christ calls us to. We're not to think about how personally we're affected. We're to think about how our life personally affects others. Now I'm going to tell you this. Parting shot. This is the hardest thing. This is the hardest thing about Christendom and about our faith. The hardest thing. To be a good steward and to be a servant of God is the hardest thing. To accept Christ, Scripture is very, very open and tells us, you know, we just surrender our lives. I'll surrender my life to go to heaven. That's an all win. But then you've got to go serve everybody else. And then you've got to put yourself last. And then you've got to see that the fact that none of this is your own, it's all given to you by God, and you're just a steward of it. My wife is a gift from God. My children are gifts from God. My children's children, one day, will be gifts from God. <laughs> uh, one day, one day. We're all called to this. Why are we called to it? Because we're children children of the Father. This is what God tells us. This is how our lives are to be lived. So, when we get frustrated with that, which I've been even this week, it's okay. You can whine and moan a little bit to somebody. But we got to get the perspective right and get back to the business of what God's called us to. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, thank you for this, uh, the blessings of life. Uh, thank you of how you've taken care of us, how you protect us, how you guide us, how you instruct us through your word. Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given to us through everything, um, through just the gifts and abilities and talents and skills that you've given us as individuals. Father, through the blessings of family which you bestowed upon us. Father, through the friendships which you've allowed us to make. Father, through the places which you've put us to be able to minister. Father, all of these things are just not by chance. It's not something that's just thrown together. It's part of your plan. Your plan for us as individuals. We mean something to the kingdom of God. We need to start living our lives as people of meaning and people of importance, not in this world and not from the things of this world, but important to your kingdom and your plans. And when we get that right, Father, then all this other stuff falls into place. Help us to see that. Father, these things we ask and these things we are so thankful for, along with the mothers in which you blessed us with. We give you praise and we give you honor and we give you all the glory for everything that's been done here today in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.